Hey everybody, it's Joel, and uh, I'm going to do Joel Radio. I'm going to fade out our intro song here, and uh, I'm going to start with another piece of audio uh, that is very relevant for right now. Believe me, it's a guy. I I might even be able to find the post. It was probably from a few days ago. But anyway, we got to go. Thanks, Corey. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Layla. Thanks, Layla. Thanks, everybody. You too. Let's get out of here. Thanks, Corey. See you. Later. Wow. Corey, everybody. He did an hour and 20 minutes with us. Wow. His phone must be burning. Probably. In his hand. (laughs) That was um, the last words. That were ever spoken by Corey Hall on this show. Because we, uh, as some of you know already, and some of you probably finding out for the first time, we lost Corey Hall. He passed away um, about five weeks ago. It was June the 8th. Um, and I've taken this time, you know, five weeks to uh, try to figure out how I'm going to do a show and, and talk about him. And, uh, you know, pay tribute to him as best I can. Um, it's going to be very difficult. I thought this was going to be easy. Damn it. I, I, I wrote a whole, I got a page of notes I typed out. And, and you know, the whole history of me and him and our friendship and, and uh, you know, the highlights of the show and all that stuff. And I said, well, this will stop me uh, from having a breakdown in bawling. And I think I'm two minutes in, and I'm already crying. So this is not, this is not going to plan here today. Um, but Corey uh, is gone. Um, I, I will bring this up at the top here uh, about how he died, because whenever I hear about people dying, especially at a young age, Corey was uh, 44 years old. I think he was going to turn 45 in August when his birthday is. But um, Corey had a stroke suddenly. And um, was hospitalized for a number of days, never recovered from that stroke. I believe he uh, had an aneurysm, which probably was what ultimately killed him. But he was hospitalized uh, for some time. And uh, that's what happened Um, very suddenly. And uh, it was not due to COVID. Um, It was not due to that. Uh, He I I don't know more than that. Um, I don't know if there was an underlying health condition. There was nothing that I knew about that would have caused uh, this to happen. Um, but that is what happened. And um, I was completely shocked, as you can imagine. Um, you know, we had talked, I believe, the day he had his stroke. We had had a lengthy phone conversation, as we did. I, I would like to say that... Um, one thing, and, and I'll get into Corey and I's relationship because anyone that's listened to this show uh, for any amount of time would know that, uh, you know, we had our ups and downs, even though we were always great friends. And that, that's what this show was about, was about our great friendship. You know, there were times that we didn't speak to each other uh, because one of us was mad or both of us were mad at the other person. Um, but 
you know, when the coronavirus hit and we went on lockdown, um, Corey and I were talking all the time. Um, You know, I don't want to say every day, but I mean, it was probably at least a text message a day, if not a phone call. Our phone calls could be very lengthy. I looked at my call logs. I think that we talked for 55 minutes on uh, on, uh, the day that he would have had his stroke. I believe we had a very long conversation. I'll get into that later because that's funny what we actually talked about. Um, but yeah, we were, we were actually getting closer, even though we, we couldn't see each other. Um, you know, Corey had called in, I think the last three episodes of this podcast that were from, you know, whatever, April, May, um, Corey was on all of those and he called in and he was doing TV reviews. And I, I think you, you heard that in the audio, his phone must be hot. He was on the phone with me for 80 minutes on that uh, last show, did basically the entire show with me and, my girlfriend Layla, and um, you know, I am really glad that I had those opportunities to speak to him and had those opportunities to, uh, you know, share thoughts and, and talk about. You know, we were talking about what was going on in the world and, and the pandemic, and um, you know, we would talk about that privately. I know he he said to me at one point he so i heard on the podcast you know when i was doing a hunk of it i did without him about you know everybody's guessing at how to handle coronavirus which is exactly what's happening now i'm not going to get going on on that any further but um you know that was the thing that that we talked about a little bit but we we tried to make each other laugh it was you know when times got dark he was somebody that i turned to to keep me happy and to keep me um keep me going it was uh and i think I worked the same way for him. Um, I, I know I, one of the things that Corey liked, and, and I'll get into it when I talk about how I first met him, but you know, if you could be a good audience for Corey, he always liked you. you know, he always liked that you could listen to his stories and his jokes and his irreverent takes, and I was good for that, but I also made him laugh, and I think he would tell you that I, you know, I made him laugh. Uh, you know, he would call me because I know he needed a laugh and he would talk about something that was in the news or something that happened in, in comedy, maybe here locally in Detroit, and I would crack him up with what I would say about it. And uh, and so we did lots of that. And, uh, you know, when I... Uh, oh, here we go. Uh, <laughs> when I didn't hear from Corey um, for over a week... I thought it was really unusual. I did not know what was going on. And, and, you know, Corey's wife, uh, Amy apologized that, you know, she didn't have an opportunity to reach out to me. Um, when he was in the hospital, she didn't have my number or whatever. And, and believe me, I was the, the least of her concerns at that point. Um, but I was worried about him. You know, I, it had been, you know, we were not fighting and, and to not hear from him. And, you know, I'd sent him several messages that he didn't respond to. I called and left a voicemail for him at one point. Um, and, you know, uh, it was just such a tough time uh, for me. I don't want this to be about grief, though. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change the topic because I get so sad. I, I'm reliving when I found out the news about Corey, and I'm sure some of you are hearing it now from me. And, and some of you uh, are probably... Um, very upset. So let's get into my relationship with Corey. I'm, I'm dancing around it, but it is on my notes. Uh, Corey, I considered, and I think he would feel the same way, that to define our friendship, uh, I think I would say Corey was my best friend in comedy. Um, 
you know, I, I don't, you know, as guys in our 40s, the term best friend gets thrown around, or, or, or I don't think it's thrown around. It probably shouldn't get thrown around because I don't think it really has a whole lot of validity um, about, like, who is was Corey's best friend, who is my best friend. I mean, he was, Corey's married. I've been in a relationship with Layla for over two years now. And, and so, I mean, our, I think our partners are our best friends, ultimately. And uh, certainly Corey, you know, his friend Aaron, who he, he grew up with and continues, uh, even though Aaron lives farther away, uh, uh, you know, w- would probably have been his best friend. But we were definitely best friends in the business. Uh, we were comedy partners, certainly on this podcast. Um, I mean, we were so tight in that community that, you know, we were mistaken for one another. I mean, if anyone's listening that knows me and Corey uh, over the years, I have been mistakenly called Corey hundreds of times. And I'm sure he was mistakenly called Joel hundreds of times, even though I don't think there was that much resemblance between the two of us. I mean, I think we were always guys that were a little chunky and had, uh, you know, funny. And and, uh, I was certainly not insulted being called Corey, and I don't think he was insulted being called Joel, but that was definitely a thing that happened, Um, uh, you know, on the comedy scene. You know, there were certainly years when neither of us was dating anybody, and, you know, if I walked into the club, Corey was right behind me. If he was on stage that night, I might have been there with him or if we we're doing an open mic we were would roll together and hang out together um we were always kind of known for that we were known for being uh, a little team from very early on um and you know i never had that in comedy with anyone else um i i've never had a person that you know and the reason for that and you know i, I think i am speaking for Corey a little bit is that i didn't want to you know, there's guys I like in comedy. I, I like tons of people, but there was nobody, you know, the, the first guy I wanted to be there at a gig was Corey. You know, if I was doing a show, if I was going to an open mic, you'd be like, hey, you, you want to go to this thing? You know, because it was going to make it better that he was there. And I think I would make it better for him if I was there. And certainly when it came to doing the show and, uh, you know, having a guest on Joel Radio... My first choice was always Corey. You know, if, if you've listened to a Joel radio and Corey was not sitting across from me, you just have to know that he was asked to be there. He either was busy. Maybe there was a time we weren't getting along, but there was nobody that ever sat across from me as a guest that I wanted to be there more than him. You know, I, when I had guests, I wanted Corey to be there even when we had a guest. They come and sit down. We got a thing. You know, that was, um, you know, the last time I actually was in a room with Corey was the movie show from this year, the Movie Mania show. It was me. I, I had inju- invited Jason Filan Mares, who I knew because I wasn't sure if Corey, you know, at that time, this was, we're talking January, he was, you know, he was not actively doing the show weekly and he had sort of, uh, and, and if you listen back to those old shows, there was a week when I did sort of break it all down about, you know, Corey kind of had a blow up and, and didn't want to come on the show anymore ever. And then, of course, when it time came time to do the movie show, he was the first guy called. And I said, look, we're doing the movie show. You got to do the movie show. You got to do the movie. And, and he said, and this is if you listen back to that show, you'll hear it. He said, I can't do the movie show uh, on that day. I said, I'm doing it on this day. Jason's coming. He said, I can't do it because... 
I got to go do NPR and do a movie review for them. This is like a week before the Oscars. That's usually when I try to do the Movie Mania show. And he said, well, I got to do this thing for NPR on that day. It's out in Ann Arbor, and so I'm not going to be able to come. I said, okay, well, whatever. You know, good luck with that. He said, good luck with your show. And I must have been 10 minutes into the show with Jason, the movie show. And I get a text message, and it's Corey. And he goes, hey, I'm outside. I'm outside your house. So what the hell? Sure enough, he was there. He's ready to do the movie show. And, and you'll hear that if you go back and listen to that one. He sat down with next to Jason as a guy who he'd never met and did the movie show. And, and I thought it was a very good show. And, and um, I think Corey, we'll get into this, too, about his personality. But being, being in a room with somebody that he did not know and certainly did not respect, uh, he was on great behavior. I think I'll say that. Um, it was a really good show. So that's definitely one to... To listen back to, I was completely surprised, and that was the last time we saw each other because I believe, um, I believe we're under lockdown about two weeks after that, and you know we Corey and I acknowledged the lockdown, and we were very good about not um, going out and not seeing each other. Um, so yeah, he was always the guy I wanted. Never wanted another guy. I, I think Corey. <laughs> You know, as a, as a comedian, as a guy to do a podcast with, and certainly as a critic, and not just a, a movie critic, which he did for a living uh, for so much of his uh, professional life, but just as a critic in life, he was the greatest. I mean, Corey really was a guy that complimented me. We, we certainly did not like everything the same. But the intersection of the things that we enjoyed and the things that we disliked um, overlaps with anybody I've ever met. There's nobody that I've had more in common with than Corey Hall, um, which is why I could never replace him on the show. Um, I could never replace his presence and his humor and, uh, you know, that part of my life. That the joy that I got from talking to Corey or hanging out with Corey or doing a show with Corey, um, you know, that's gone forever. You know, I'll never I'll never get that back. And and I have to, you know, uh, I've known Corey for 21 years and I can't imagine in my life that I will have another person that will bring me that joy that I had in, in that way. And I'm not talking about romantic partners. I love Layla, my girlfriend, and, and, and uh, you know, she's amazing. But the thing with Corey, it just is irreplaceable. And, um, you know, I'll never, I'll never have that again. And, uh, anyway, um, so, I mean, he really was, uh, you know, Corey was unique. Corey was not like other guys. Uh, he was, you know, in in a way, I look at Corey almost like a fight club thing where Corey was the, I'm trying to get the fight. I'm, I'm going to spoil fight club for anyone, but I don't know if he was. Was Corey Tyler Durden, and I was, I, I'm Ed Norton, and, and Corey, it was Brad Pitt, and secretly, it, my other side was him, 
the aggressive, crazy side of me was really Corey, and and uh, um, maybe maybe that's a good way to explain it. I don't know. It, it was, um, but yeah, and and you know, in stand up, uh, which I'm going to get really into his stand up career and, and, and all of that in a second here, uh, but certainly in, in you know film criticism uh, locally here. Um, you know, he was very well known. Uh, lots of tributes to Corey. I should mention this, and I should link to these over on JoelRadio.net. Um, you know, I'll try to remember to do that uh, as I post the show. Um, uh, NPR locally, WDET, did a tribute to Corey on their airwaves that's on the Internet. Um, Adam Graham, the movie critic for the Detroit News, did a really great uh, article about Corey. Uh, um Later in the week, he died, and um, Adam was a guy that I, I know a little bit. Corey introduced me to him, and uh, Adam's a great guy, and, and he did a really fantastic write-up on Corey. And um, I feel like there's more than that, but I, I can't tell you more. But the, there were, you know, people, you know, his his death was a giant loss in every community uh, that he was in. Um the loss to his family um, was gigantic in a way that, you know, you know, Corey, uh, so Corey was married to Amy. I believe they've been married for, uh, I'm guessing I should have had this number, but I, I guess they've been married for 10 years and dated for years before that. And um, uh, Corey and Amy had a great relationship, uh, you know, um, Certainly when Corey got married, we saw less of each other. You know, that was definitely a thing. Um, but it really brought him such joy when they would hang out and uh, just just the whole thing. Um, I'm so sad for Amy um, to, to have lost Corey um, because he was such... I don't know that there was another woman. I, I knew, you know, knowing Corey for 20 years, I've known other women that dated Corey, and I, I was always kind of like, who, who are these women? <laughs> you know, because he's he's such a, you know, he's such a, uh, his personality is so extreme, and, and you know, uh, not just in being critical of things or angry about things, but also loving things. It, you know, he was an intense guy. And, you know, when, when you think about who would be ideal for Corey and who could put up with Corey, it's, you know, and then when Amy came along, it was like, oh, look at this one. She she's not going to have a chance. And then you meet her. And, and I remember the first time meeting Amy, um, I actually heard about her from him before I ever met her. And he was going on and on about how great she was. And I'm like, I'll I'll be the judge of this, Corey. I know you better than anybody. We'll see what this woman's all about. I can't remember if I met her the first time on the show, but she, you know, she came out very early on in their dating, and of course, uh, I was just blown away by what a great person she was, and and uh, she was so great for Corey, uh, and I'm feeling uh, for her. I'm feeling for Corey's parents. You know, Corey was an only child; his parents are both still living. Um, at his memorial service, which you know, because of COVID, uh, the memorial services and, and funerals. Uh, um, you know, are not what they used to be. They're, you know, you're social distancing, you're wearing masks, you're very limited on who can be there. And, um, you know, I went out of my way to give Corey's dad, Jerry, a hug at the memorial. 
and uh, I really just completely lost it. Uh, uh, more more than I am right now when I when I gave Jerry. And you're not supposed to hug people, <laughs> you know. And I know that it just felt like the right thing to do. And and the thing about Jerry's like. One, Jerry looks, Corey looks like Jerry, you know, Corey actually looked exactly like both of his parents, which is a weird thing to say about somebody. But, you know, between the hairline and the build and and something about the the face and, uh, you know, Corey was his father's son and sort of to see him was to see Corey uh, and... And the other thing is that Corey with his parents, you know, he so much of when I talk about, you know, Corey couldn't be on the show and I was asking Corey to be on the show and why wouldn't he come or there were days that he wasn't available. It's because he was taking care of his father. I mean, I would say most of the time, but so much of of what he did on a daily basis was with his parents and um and helping them and uh i mean he was great for that and i told his dad i said you know he, you know cory loved you so much he would talk about his his parents um to me all the time and uh and to feel what they were and, and you know there's no words that can even express it i don't know uh but that was such a thing that i know about i knew about him is his relationship with his parents and how great it was and uh, how big a part of a life uh, uh, of all of, you know, how, how intertwined their lives were um, that I can't imagine that loss. I mean, with my parents, my mother has passed away, but my father is still alive and uh, his, his wife, his, his current wife, my stepmother takes great care of my father. Um, but I am not, I do not see them anywhere near the amount that Corey saw his parents. And um, so thinking about that is, uh, is, is just so tough. Um, they say a parent watching their child die is the worst thing in the world. And, and it is in this case, um, you know, again, I talk about the moral service. I, I I'm going back to my notes here. Uh, you know, com- the comedy community, and, and I know a lot of people listen in the uh, Detroit comedy community uh, to this show, uh, we will attempt to do, I uh, personally am going to attempt to do a tribute to Corey, a memorial for comedians, a way to remember him. Um, unfortunately, we don't have an appropriate venue at this point because of COVID-19, I mean, I would do something at my house, certainly, and get a tent and do all everything outside if I thought we could. But, you know, this is not the time to do that with what's going on in the world, and that kills me. I think uh, what I'm doing here today is, uh, at least for me, going to be therapeutic in a way to remember him. And I hope you... uh, you guys will as well. Uh, I mean, I, I would like, I would love to go through and play, you know, clips of the show and, and, you know, Corey's comedy and, and his movie reviews. Uh, Joelradio.net has all of our shows that we've ever done. Uh, going back to 2005 when it was called, uh, the Corey and Joel radio show, the original name of this show. Um, 
And we'll get into that, why that changed at a point. Uh, but you can listen all the way back there. Um, we did some YouTube stuff back in the early days of the podcast, too. And those are up. Uh, if you, I can probably put a link to those. We did a bunch of movie reviews. We did a funny, we did a funny bit where <laughs> I solved the Rubik's Cube while Corey was heckling me, which was fun. So there's lots of ways if you want to catch up with... Uh, some some Corey audio and remember him that way. Um, like I said, I think the movie show is a good place. Especially if you're looking for a good movie to watch uh, during lockdown. Uh, go listen to that because all those movies are out. Um, um, I want to thank everybody that said, uh, you know, my phone. Uh, you would have thought I was the widow when Corey passed away. The amount of messages and phone calls I got uh, from everybody. um just blown away by that, um, you know, comedians and, and I don't even want to get into everybody, but I mean, um, it's, that was really great. I want to thank everybody for that. There were people that I broke the news to about his passing and, and, um, I know that was hard on people. I have heard that, um, as much as, you know, I was ultimately told by John Tenney, who's a friend of the show, you probably heard on, was actually the guy who told me that, that Corey was gone, and, and I passed that along. Um, and I know that was hard, so that was uh, a hard thing for me um, to pass it along as it is today. Um, but I want to thank everybody that reached out to me and, you know, fans of this show and on Facebook and everywhere. Um, and people were waiting to see what I was going to do on this show. And, and I may do more shows. I mean, certainly... I want to make it uh, a thing where if that's what you want, we can do more with Corey uh, in, in clips of Corey. I mean, I know I have lots and lots, without putting it in hours, of audio that we've never released on the podcast proper. We did a mailing list for Corey and Joel Radio where you know we would give you exclusive... We were reviewing other podcasts and doing other bits, and those were never on the podcast proper. I know I have an interview with Corey. Uh, I, I have a tape of Corey interviewing George Carlin that I had promised Corey after George Carlin died that I would release on the show, and we never released it on the show. And I went back and listened to that and actually did some tweaking of the audio. So that's a thing I'd like to tack on to one of the end of the shows one day. And um, so anyway, if, if you want to reach out to me, you know, I am on Facebook, Joel Fragamani. Um, if you want to email me directly, go ahead. Uh, Joel, the comic, all one word, J-O-E-L-T-H-E-C-O-M-I-C at Gmail. If you want to reach out to me that way, uh, thoughts about Courier things that you think I should do to memorialize him beyond what I've done today. Um. I'm open to those suggestions. I'm open to doing those things. Should I just throw on some old shows? I mean, the thing about the shows is that they're not in the RSS feed. It's going to get a little technical for a second. But, you know, if you go to joelradio.net, or if you go to joelradio.net, all the shows are up there. You'll have to listen to most of them in the built-in player on the page because only the last 20 or so are available on the podcast services. Um, I could add more, but I, I know there was a point where if you added all of the shows, it would cause people to download all of the shows, and that's not what people want to do. I know 
podcast delivery has sort of changed over the years, and maybe that's a thing I could I could do is put more shows on there. I could also uh, release some old shows as new shows and put some wraparounds on them and talk about uh, my memories of those shows. I mean, that would be a thing I'd be interested in doing. So if you if you have any comments, let me know. Um. I'm going to go back to my notes here and talk about, you know, uh, you know, Corey's personality. Let's get back into that because, um, you know, this is how I would define Corey. Because this was a thing where people would say, well, Corey Hall was a dick. There are certainly people that would say Corey was a dick. And here's where I think that comes from and why I don't think that's true. Okay, Corey. Sort of Corey's default is that he, especially in comedy, and that that was really my lens into him was through the business of comedy and in podcasting, was that Corey's default, if he met you, was to not like you. If you were a comedian he had never seen before, he was skeptical. Uh, if he had never seen you before and you weren't funny or you weren't having a great side, he hated you. That was his default. He did not, uh, you know, he, he was not a person who wanted to be liked right away by everybody around him. Uh, he, he, he wanted to, you know, let people, and he would let people know that he didn't like them right away. Um, and so he, you know, got this reputation for being a dick. Oh, he wasn't nice to me. I met him once and he wasn't that guy. But the thing about Corey that you don't understand is that, if Corey got to met got to meet you and, and got to like you and know you a little bit and hang out with you, that he liked everybody. In fact, I would say anybody that really knew Corey, besides just like seeing him one time and you know, or eh, he didn't really seem nice, he didn't talk to me, whatever. If you got to know Corey, if you got to talk to him and hang out with him, I think everybody that knew Corey loved him. And that was so much of when when people were reaching out to me and saying, oh, I heard about Corey, I'm so sad. I would, in certain cases, I would have to say to people, I said, I just want you to know that Corey really liked you. I did this with a bunch of people. I said, just so you know, you know, newer comedians, guys who were maybe in my comedy classes. uh, I said, I just want you to know how much Corey liked you because, you know, Corey would you know, hang out with people. He would go out on these dinners with, with our friend Seiko, uh, who, who's been on the show. And, uh, he would get to meet all these kind of newer comedians. And he'd come back and go, you know, he's a good guy at Ted Moss. He's a good guy. I said, yeah, but you hated Ted Moss for years. And I hung out with him. He's fine. I like Ted. I said, what are you doing? Why do you like Ted now? <laughs> you know, so that's just an example of a guy that Corey would shit talk because he didn't like his act or he was, an old guy or he thought somebody was a conservative and that was a big deal to him that you were on his side politically. And, and then he'd hang out with Ron Rigby or Ted Moss and he'd go, I like those guys. Those guys are good guys. Robert Schneider is another guy just to use my name who he did not like Robert Schneider. And Robert was in my classes and I go, you know, and I would tell him and I said, you know, Robert's kind of like us. He's like our age. He's a geek. He's into all the stuff we like. He's actually a really funny comedian. You'd probably like Robert Schneider a lot if you hung out with him. And, of course, later he hung out with Robert, and they got along great. And uh, so that was his personality. You know, that was that was the thing. He he uh, he. You had to earn his respect. You had to earn his, uh, you know, you, you he had to know you to like you. Um, 
you know, when I was talking to people about what I should talk about, you know, uh, you know, knowing Corey so long, I reached out to people and said, hey, well, well, what should I talk about on the show? You know, what would you? And they said, well, you know, Corey, somebody said this to me. He said, Corey had a presence when he walked into a room, you know, um, you knew he was there. Corey was one of those guys. I think I'm the complete opposite. I think this is one place where he and I really differ was when Corey walked into a room, he wanted you to know he was in the room. For good or for bad, you know. Uh, if he felt comfortable, he could walk into a room and try to charm everybody in that room. Hey, I'm here. What's going on? He'd be making jokes in two seconds. You know, I would not be comfortable doing that. And if he was there at a thing that he didn't like, he was, he would, you know, outwardly voice his displeasure at times. Um, he really did not have a filter. You hear about guys with no filter. Corey's a guy with no filter. I mean... I mean, even we would go to these movie screenings and Corey, you know, and Corey's there is, you know, invited to these movie screenings. I would be there uh, most of the time because I was his guest. And, you know, it's it's the movie critics, you know, probably, you know, in our area, we're talking maybe two dozen people that are all at all of these screenings that he, you know, are his contemporaries. And he was just given the. The raspberry to the movie at the end, you know, the, the credits would come up and go. You're like, what are you doing? You're you're like this respected movie critic guy, and you're like he had to let everybody know right away that he didn't like that movie. <laughs> and even if I didn't like the movie, I wasn't gonna heckle it or you know. I can't remember what he did at the end of Batman versus Superman: Dawn of Justice. Now that was the thing where he didn't see a critic screening, and so I got his tickets for opening night for that. And uh, I forget what he did. And I go, you realize the comic book nerds are going to want to fight us. <laughs> they didn't, but it was a real potential when Corey gave Batman versus Superman Dawn of Justice the raspberry that we could have had problems. And, you know, Corey did have, you know, there were guys who, because of his opinion, would want to, you know, get physical. Um it was not that common, but it happened. It happened more than it did to most people. It had happened to me a couple times in comedy. It happened more to Corey. Um, but he, he could not keep his opinion to himself. He was known for that. He had a thing. You know, he had his, his, his thing. And, of course, our fights, you know, which I, I have to address because that was, you know, certainly a big part of, you know, our relationship. Um, most of our fights, most of the reason... You know, there was certainly the thing, and I you know I addressed it in the last six months or so of doing the show, that, you know, Corey would say, uh, the show's not successful and nobody's listening, and I don't want to be part of a thing that nobody's listening to. Which, number one, people have always listened. <laughs> certainly in my circles, I'd be working at the Comedy Castle when I was working the door or teaching a class. First thing people would say to me when they saw me a lot of the times would be, oh, I listened to the last podcast. Great job. Oh, I, I saw that movie, too. I'll talk about that. That was really funny. You know, and so people would talk to me about it all the time. And I just don't think he got that feedback. Um, and I think he felt, you know, Corey was not a guy that wanted, you know, he always wanted to be successful and popular. And, and um, you know, my our attitudes were certainly different when it came to podcasting because I said, look, I enjoy doing this. And I'm going to do this because I enjoy doing it. And I think if I enjoy doing it, the people will, listening will take 
my sense of enjoyment and pleasure from doing this thing. And that will translate to the audience, and then they will have a good time listening. And Corey looked at it as, oh, we need lots of people to listen. We deserve. All these guys suck. And, you know, and, and look, podcasting certainly changed. We had our, uh, you know, in the very early days, you know, when iTunes decided to add podcasting to its platform, we got, you know, hundreds of listeners from all over the world and you know, they were, we would say, hey, send us emails if you're listening. And people from Japan and England and um, certainly, you know, our, our friend Cam in Yellowknife reached out. And we still keep in touch with Cam, you know. And, and uh, Niels from Germany, if you were listening to the show years ago, you know about Niels from Germany who flew over to hang out with us at our live shows. We had lots of fans, but Corey did not feel that we were, you know, successful enough for him to put any energy into it. And I think that that was wrong, and I told him that. And I think it's wrong now. And I think the, the, the reaction to his death, I think, has proved me right. Um, that people do enjoy the show, and they enjoyed him being on it. Um, you know, that was certainly a, a thing that, which I always hated, because that got in the way of, of me and him uh, and, and our great friendship and, and how much we made each other laugh. That would get in the way of that. And, of course, the other fights, which we would have on. The, we didn't have the nobody's listening to the show I quit fight. That, that one he saved for off the air. But, of course, the fights on the air were, uh, you know, uh, he, I liked the movie that he didn't. I liked the TV show that he didn't. Um, one of the biggest fights we ever had on this show <laughs> was, you know, I want only cheese on my pizza. Oh, I can remember that show. I don't remember the number, but certainly you can look that up where he went off on me about, you know, being an infant, and I didn't like, you know, unbelievable fights we had about pizza toppings. He's very, you know, Corey could not accept that I, and we would get pizza lots of times after comedy shows, after the podcast. Always a fight. Always a fight about that. He would never give, you know. In fact, the last phone call I had, like I said, I talked to him for almost an hour, uh, I believe the day that he had the stroke, and... um he called me with this. This was the premise of his call. Because Corey always had this, and I've talked to, to our friends and, and stuff since, and they all kind of had the same thing. The phone would ring. It was from Corey. It was usually him calling me, although we called each other. It, if Corey was calling me, it was he had one thing that he wanted to get off his chest or he had an opinion about something, and he wanted to let me know. And, and believe me, these are some of the dumbest things in the world, but he was passionate about them. So this was the last one that he called me. And sometimes it would be like, oh, did you see this? He'd read a news story about some celebrity, and it'd be that. It could be something in local comedy. This club closed. Maybe somebody died, ironically enough. It would be that call. But this is the last phone call I got from Corey and what it was about and how trivial uh, and yet so much he cared. He goes... You know, I saw that. Hey, what's going on? Yo, yo, yo. We always answered the phone like that. Yo, yo, yo. Yo, yo, yo. What's going on? Yo, yo, yo. What's up? So I saw the aces. I'm doing my Corey impression. I saw that AEW uh, stadium stampede match from the pay-per-view. Yeah. Yeah, everyone's saying it was really good. It wasn't that good. And I go, no, it was actually really good. (laughs) And immediately just shot down his premise, and we had a debate from there. So he originally, you know, the last phone call I had from him was him complaining to me that the wrestling match, which is actually a great wrestling match if, if you like wrestling. If you don't like wrestling, I think you'd like 
the AEW stadium stampede, but it was on pay-per-view, and he found some guy, put it on YouTube, and, and he watched it, the main event, and he went. That wasn't as good as everyone said it was. Uh, you know, Of course it was. And that was you know, that was and then of course we talked about everything else for the rest of the time. But you know, that was it. That was that was our relationship. That was what we that and that and that brings me great joy because I would never get upset with him. I would never go, you know, go, look, I, I really liked it. And you didn't like it. That's okay. But, you know, the, I think one of the big differences between me and him personality wise was like, you know, if I like if I liked if he liked something that I didn't like I was okay with that and he was not okay if I disagreed with him if I liked something and he didn't I was an idiot you know it became personal right away with him you could say it was fighting dirty but that's how he operated you know if we differed I was an asshole it wasn't that we had difference of opinions it was that I was you know, he would go into just everything. He'd go into... I mean, Corey would really fight dirty sometimes. I mean, he would get into my background. Oh, yeah, you grew up in the suburbs with a silver spoon in your mouth. And you're, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, what are you talking about? I would tell him, I go, my family immigrated here from Italy on a boat. They didn't speak English. Nothing was handed to me, you idiot, you know? He would go, but he would get real deep. He would get real deep. There was nothing off limits. He he fought. I'm not even going to get into what else. This is a tribute to Corey, not putting him down. Believe me. Um, but you know that that would be a thing. Uh, if I didn't agree with him, he he would uh, he would. Uh, but we always ended up laughing. You know, we always ended up laughing. We would all default to, um, you know, something that we both found humorous. You know, I'd say fuck Oprah. And he go, yeah, let's uh, fuck Oprah. You know, get into that thing. Um. And we always defended each other. That's another thing I want to say about our relationship. And one of the great things, you know, the loyalty we had to each other, you know, in comedy, which is a really shitty, dark business that I don't even know that I miss (laughs) not being around business wise. You know, we always had each other's backs because there's so many scumbag kind of dirty dealer bottom feeder assholes in the business of comedy that we always looked out for each other in that case. I mean, the, the Roseanne thing. I mean, really one of the, one of the, the biggest, and I think in best shows that I ever did is when, you know, I don't know what was it, about a year ago. I, I was booked to open for Roseanne bar at the Fox theater in Detroit. I did a whole show about it called we hate Roseanne. And on the day of the show, the promoter called me and said that uh, you're being removed from the show because Roseanne did not like some of your comments, whatever, whatever. We, of course, did a show about Roseanne when Roseanne got in trouble for the, was it the monkey comments? I'm trying to remember even what Roseanne did to get canceled, but they canceled Roseanne. We talked about it because we have a podcast about, you know, pop culture and what's going on in the media and comedy. And so I talked about it like anyone would talk about it. I did not have Roseanne's side as no sane person would. Well, when I got removed from the show and I talked about it on the podcast, the guy that I had to have sitting with me as I did that was Corey. And Corey was first to go, yeah, let's fucking get that bitch. You know, he was very much like, fuck Roseanne, man. We're going to bury her. And we did. 
And that is really one of my proudest shows. And uh, me and Corey, we had Dave Landau on the phone, our friend uh, who is... uh, Dave is the co-host with Anthony Camilla on Compound Media, if you want to find that show. And such a funny guy, great guy on the radio, hilarious comic, good friend. We love Dave. And Dave talked about how he was on Last Comic Standing. And Roseanne, you know, kept him. Not only did she do it on the show, but the next year when Dave tried to get on the show, she actually put, you know, she holds grudges. She's like that. She's petty and awful. And Corey was the guy that I wanted to be there. And he was so happy to be here uh, because Roseanne did me wrong. Because Roseanne removed me from a very high profile show. He had my back and I, I will always love him and always respect him for that. That's that's. What kind of a friend he was. All right, well, let's get into Corey's life a little bit more um, and, and how we met. I, I, I met, uh, so Corey was uh, an only child, as I mentioned. He was, I believe, born and, and raised till he was, I don't know, five or six uh, in Ohio, in the Cincinnati area. Um, you know, being an only child, I think, Gave him, I, I think he needed lots of attention, as I've already mentioned. He was certainly a guy who wanted that, and being an only child could do that to you. Um, I never felt that he had, like, a bad childhood or anything, but I definitely felt like he, uh, you know, he did not have that brotherly relationship or a sister or a close sibling. Um, I think I was that to him in a lot of ways. I think if you wanted to define our relationship, you could say it was a brotherhood because, you know, there were times we didn't get along. And and that's how it is with family and brothers. You know, my brother, uh, I have one brother and I don't even speak to that brother. And I love my brother. He loves me. We're not fighting or anything. But, you know, he lives in Georgia. I live in, you know, and he's lived in Georgia for 20 some years. You know, we 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 don't talk all that much, you know. Um, But Corey, I think I was definitely a brother to him. Um, and, and yeah, he was a guy that needed attention, which probably led Corey into the performing arts. He was, uh, he was active in theater in his younger days, in his high school days. Uh, certainly he was known for that musicals. He did all that stuff, which you wouldn't think Corey would be a musical fella, you know, but Corey could at the drop of a dime sing you the music man. He could sing the sound of music. In fact, it was, and I gave him lots of shit when he, he got the gig, but you know, he was hired to host Sing Along with the Sound of Music at the Main Art Theater here in, in, uh, in Michigan, in, in Royal Oak here. Um, and he was in his later hosen, and he went on television to promote it <laughs> in the full Bavarian getup. And he would lead the sing alongs, and he really did love that. So, Corey, certainly as a young kid, um, had that in him. Um, uh, so I met him. So my journey into standup was, uh, in my last year of college, I thought that standup would be as a film major. And I thought standup comedy would be a good outlet for my writing. I was writing scripts and making movies. Uh, I had attended New York university. Um, I was finishing up my degree at Wayne state university here in Detroit and I got interested, you know, I, I knew about Woody Allen and his uh, stand-up career, which led into uh, his filmmaking career. And I thought that was a, a blueprint for success to go from stand-up to directing. And certainly lots of people have done that over the years. You know, Judd Apatow comes to mind. 
kind of followed that blueprint there as well as a stand-up and then film director. I thought that's what I wanted to do. And there was an article in the paper. It was the Detroit News. They did an article about local comedians. This would have been in... Out of September, October of 99, they did this article, which I, I wish I had, and I think I've looked it up, and you have to buy it from the archives, and I never did, but maybe I should now, uh, about local comedians, and they were all hanging out at a place called Club Bart in Ferndale, Michigan, and it profiled two people. It profiled a guy named Derek and a lady named Ann. I believe it was Ann, right? It was Ann? It was Ann? Anyway. Derek and Ann and how, you know, Derek worked in an office and he was an engineer. And then at night he got to go to this little club in Ferndale and tell his jokes. And Ann was a housewife and she was, you know, this irreverent mom. And uh, I read that article and I went like, oh, you know, I had never really seen stand up comedy live. We had comedy clubs in Detroit, the Chaplin's Comedy Club. And of course, Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle, I'd never been to either place. Um, I, I think part of it is that I didn't want to get into it. I mean, certainly when I was in New York City and living at NYU, I lived, I think, a block or block and a half from the Comedy Cellar. And I would walk by the Comedy Cellar almost every night as, as I was you know, going out or, or going to class or whatever. And, you know, they would literally, there'd be a guy with a clipboard going, you want some free tickets to the cellar? You can come on in and, and you, you know. And I never went because I was afraid if I went. You know, this is 1996. If I stepped into the comedy cellar, I thought that was it. And my dad was playing for my college, so I couldn't do comedy in New York. God forbid I go to the comedy cellar and get roped into that world on my dad's dime. Forget about it. That wasn't going to happen. Um, but when I read this article about what was going on in Detroit in this little bar, I said, I, I could do that. I should do that. I, I you know, um, and, and and so I sat down in, in the next week or so and, and uh, wrote some stuff that I thought was going to be funny. And, uh, you know, um, and uh, I wrote this stuff out and then I went to the show. Now, it was an open mic. It always was an open mic. I went on, of course, to Host Club Bart. I'm getting ahead of myself now. But on this first night that I uh, stepped foot into Club Bart for comedy night, I went to watch. Um, I went to just observe. I had my set. Remember, I had my set in my pocket. Like maybe I was going to make notes, or maybe if somehow I got called on to be on this show, I would go do it. I certainly, I think, I wanted to at least see how it operated before I kind of threw my hat into the ring. And I went there and I was watching the show, and I and and, and my general impression with the open mic. First of all, the open mic is hosted by a guy named PJ. P.J. Butland, who went on to be a great friend of mine. Um, big, giant, tall, kind of biker-looking guy. 6'3", six, 6'2". Six, six, I don't know how tall P.J. was, but big handlebar, like in a Fu Manchu mustache, hockey jersey on. And P.J. was pretty funny. I have to say, P.J. did a good job. He was the host. And then he brought on the comedians. And, you know, I did see Derek, I remember, from the newspaper articles. So I was, like, all excited. I'm like, oh, Derek is... Guy and Derek was pretty funny. Derek was all right, you know. I think Ann might have been on that show as well. I remember seeing uh, the Ridley brothers, which was Ryan and Adam Ridley, and uh, of course Ryan now is a big shot TV guy, Rick and Morty showrunner. 
but I saw the Ridley brothers and they were all right. Um, but most of it I thought wasn't very good. And that was good for me to see this show and go, most of this is not, and not that it wasn't good, but I felt like I could be as good as these people. I felt that with most of them, with PJ, with Derek, even though I like them, I said, I, I can do what they're doing. I think I can do that. I was pretty sure I could do that. And then they brought up, uh, and with a lot of fanfare, because Club Bar could be a place where people really didn't get, get into it at all, um, but PJ says, here he is. I forget how he introduced him, but... Corey Hall, everybody, and people started applauding, and it was like, oh, this is a big deal. It's Corey Hall, and of course I see this guy who would have been, Corey would have been 23. Did not have any more hair than he had when he passed away five weeks ago. Corey, premature balding, chubby guy, but had that look. He had that Belushi thing. Where he was chubby, he was angry, he was sarcastic. And I'm watching this set and I'm going, holy shit. This guy is unbelievable. And the thing about it too was that not only was it funny and he had a great set and Corey's act back then would have been, you know, he was doing a Frank Sinatra impression uh, he would have this 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 hat, uh, I don't know what you would call it, a fedora, and he would kind of do... Frank Sinatra doing Baby's Got Back. I like big bucks and I cannot lie. You know, what if Sinatra sang today's hits? You know, that was he was kind of known for that bit. He would do bits about Sesame Street. And, and, and you know, these bits, Corey, you know, as I found out later, had been in comedy for about a year. And, and while these bits are a little pedestrian uh, for like a 20-year veteran, for a brand new guy and with the energy and the charisma that he had, I saw Corey and I went... This guy's hilarious. This is what I've been looking for. That was the thing about Corey. And I don't think I ever told it. I mean, I, I've told this story before, and I told it on the show while he was sitting here. But uh, when I saw Corey, I went, this is show business. This is a guy who could be a star, who could be on television. This is a guy who is hilarious in ways that I am not. This guy is going, <laughs> I will not be as good as this guy anytime soon. Um, it was unbelievable. He was out of control funny. He was mean at times. He was, everybody seemed to love him at this show. I mean, it was certainly, he was certainly the hit of the show. He was the guy I remembered more than anybody when this thing was over. It was just so great. And I was like, this is it. That's the guy. You know, a lot of people, you know, trying it, bombing, like, like any other open mic. But to see Corey go up was something else. It was incredible. And I said to and and, uh, and so, you know, the show ends. I was sitting there by myself. I had a couple beers and waitress served me. I didn't talk to anybody until the very end. I realized that they were all thanking this guy, Todd, that worked there. And so I said, uh, I found this guy, Todd, at the end of the show. And I said, hey, Todd, I'm Joel. And uh, I was watching the show and I wrote some stuff I'd like to get up. Do you think there's a chance I could get up next week on the show? And he said, yeah, just come back next week. You're on. This is cool. Now, meanwhile, I don't even think, I didn't know how to get on this open mic. <laughs> you know, there was no Facebook. There was no social media. I just showed up. Um, and I figured out, if I ask this guy, he'll, he'll let me on, Todd. I mean, found out later, of course, Todd 
was the son of Bart, who owned Club Bart, and is still my great friend today, Todd Starks. Um, but, I, you know, I didn't know how to get on the show, and, you know, I could have just shown up the next week and whenever. I think he told me, hey, get here at 9.30 or something and put your name on the list and you'll get some time. He said, yeah, you'll get like six, seven minutes, you know, whatever it was. So I, I went home and I had that set and I thought that set was good and I went back uh, following week and most of the same characters in there the following week, you know, I, I was going to perform. I remember it was the first week of the, the, the show that I had watched was right before Halloween because there were some Halloween jokes and some you know, I think one or two guys might have been in costume or something. But anyway, so the following week, so it's the first week of November 99. I think it might have been November 4th. I go to the club and get on the list. I, I think I talked to PJ and PJ. I, I said Todd was there. I said, Todd, what do you He said, talk to PJ. I introduced myself to PJ. PJ put me on the list, but probably way down. I, I'm guessing there might have been, you know, 15 guys on the list. I was 12 or 13 probably, you know. Because that's what you do with new guys. You don't throw them up maybe necessarily right away. Because if they stink, people could walk out of the club. That's not what anybody wanted, you know. And uh, had some drinks. And I, instead of taking a seat in the stands, I hung out with the comics. We had this kind of a ramp with a railing, a steel railing that went up and down. Probably for handicapped folks or whatever, but disabled people. Um, but we would just kind of hang on this railing and drink beer and look at our notes. And sometimes we'd walk outside and shoot the shit and you know so i was just standing around um i, I think maybe one other guy talked to me out of the blue who i found out later was a guy that kind of nobody talked to so that was weird <laughs> i was like oh one guy's nice to me okay then a guy named mark goldberg at the stage and mark goldberg was a guy who yeah he was a funny guy mark goldberg but he was he was such a what's the word for him he was such a a schmuck in a way, you know, he was just a guy, low energy, self-deprecating jokes, which is, you know, what I ended up doing, too. But, you know, not a lot of charisma, kind of a hangdog look on his face. He would make all these jokes about dating. I think I remember one of his jokes was, which is why, he, you know, Mark Goldberg is probably better than we remember, because he's a guy I remember his jokes. But he would say, you know, I know what women want. I want them to leave me alone. And the audience would like he'd get like one chuckle. You know, the jokes really probably deserve better, but a lot of comedy is presentation, and Mark Goldberg did not have the presentation. But as I'm standing there, and, and just as Mark hits the stage, I feel, I remember I'm holding my beer, I probably had my set list in my, beer in my right hand, my set list in my left hand reading, you know, actually my set list, but my jokes written out, typed out word for word on a page, and I feel, you know, my elbow, and elbow hits my elbow. It's Corey. And I'm like so nervous because it's Corey. And he says, uh, get ready to see a bomb. We're talking, he's referring to Mark Goldberg. He goes, get ready for Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Not since 1945 have we seen the impact in the crater that this is going to leave. <laughs> and I started cracking up because he, he's, he's dumping on Goldberg and saying how bad it's going to be. And I was cracking up. And Corey went away. You know, that was it. You know, uh, that was the first thing he ever said to me. He just came up to me again. Like I said earlier, if you could be an audience for Corey and his jokes and his nonsense and his put downs, you were good to him. You know, that's what he liked you if you were a good audience. So he, you know, Corey went off and ended up doing his set. And, and of course, the great. And I went up and I remember I was bombing. 
I wasn't going well. I, I had brought up a, a pint of beer and set that on the floor. I knocked that over at some point during my set. Um, and, and then the barmaid who was working there actually handed me uh, a, a bar towel and made me soak up my own beer spill mid-set. I was not doing well at all. I think I was running long because I didn't have any sense of how long comedy takes to do and the pauses and the timing. And it was going long. And I remember Corey uh, leaning, coming over, and he did the thing where you, you lean on the pole. That was kind of the move. You know, they give you the light, but at the time, if it wasn't a physical light, someone would just kind of give you the high sign. And I remember Corey kind of coming out and leaning on the pole and kind of saying, hey, wrap it up, which I thought was nice. And then I remember the last joke I did. I got a big laugh. It was my close. I'd written it. It was my closing joke. That got a big laugh. And because I, you know, Corey gave me the high sign, I wrapped it up and I got a big laugh. And that was it. I said, you know what? I got one joke that worked. And now 20 years in, I realize if you're doing an open mic set and one joke gets a big laugh, that's a pretty good set. So I think my first time, even though I bombed and I always say I bombed, hey, I got the one joke. I figured out my timing. Corey seemed to like me. You know, the comics that went on after me all made fun of me. You have to remember, too, that at, at this point in my life, you know, in the 90s, this is 1999, okay, I had my hair, it was grunge. My hair was down to my shoulders, if not further down. It may very well have been in a ponytail at this point. I was probably wearing, like, a black T-shirt and blue jeans, you know. Probably goatee, heavy, you know, overweight, and... You know, I was quite the sight <laughs> at the open mic, 27 years old. So right in the age of those guys, a little bit older, maybe older than some young, younger than PJ, older than Corey. And that was my first show. And Corey, that first night, I'll never forget it because it was like, hey, not only did I, I get a laugh, Corey seemed to like me and Corey's the best guy. And that was his reputation at that time, you know, in the first, you know, in the late 90s, early 2000s, if you would have asked comedians. Who's the funniest guy? Who's the guy that is the best? Of the, of the guys, you know, because you had the working comics. You had the established guys who were headlining clubs. But of the young guys coming up, the guys who weren't quite working for money yet, Corey was the best guy. That was universal, uh, unanimous decision. No one had anything else. Uh, no one else had any other opinion than Corey was the funniest. And he was. And I maintain Corey was the funniest for his whole career. Now, I think one of the things with Corey is he, he didn't realize that so much of the business, and one of the things that makes it such a shitty business is it's not about being funny. Uh, it, it is about making friendships and relationships. And Corey certainly resented the people above him, the people that could ultimately give him work and have him open. And, and while certainly he made some of those, he did not make enough to really help his career at a point. Um, and we'll get into this later, but certainly when Corey uh, went in the movie film criticism direction, I think his comedy, uh, he, he put less energy into comedy and his act and, and those kind of things. Corey never was the road comedian that I was certainly, or a lot of people are starting out where, you know, you're going out every weekend driving, you know, in my case, I drove, you know, to Florida and the Carolinas and Pennsylvania, all these places to do shows. Corey really didn't live that life like I did. Um, but certainly in the early days, he was considered. 
And look, anybody who knows comedy knows that Corey's great. I mean, we talked to Dave Landau. You talk to these guys that are around now that people think are the best comics. They almost all think Corey Hall was hilarious and great. And they would have him on the show, even if the audience didn't like him. He would play it in front of old people, and he'd just do his thing. And, and you know, it didn't always go well, but God damn it, he was never not funny to us. I mean, he was really, I think, pegged to be a star and... You know, one of the shitty things about the comedy business is that, you know, it is not a meritocracy. It is not the best comedian has the most success. You know, there are famous comedians who are not funny. <laughs> they are not funny on stage, and believe me, I've dealt with enough of them all. I mean, they're not funny to most people, not to people who know comedy. They'd be funny to your grandmother, but they're not funny to, to me. And some of them are dicks off stage. And yet they're successful. But, you know, Corey just, you know, and I, I know that was frustrating for him. But believe me, in the early days, Corey Hall was a superstar in the making. I talked about Belushi earlier. He was certainly in the early days really fascinated with Belushi and his attitude. You know, Corey always, whenever he would read a book or hear about, you know, Andy Kaufman was another guy died young. And he kind of had this fascination about guys who, you know. They gave the industry the finger, and they were the toast of the town. And I think what I found out in my 20 years of show business is the guys that do that, uh, when you write a book posthumously about a guy, you say, oh, he gave the industry the finger, and he was still the biggest star in the world. That's what you write in the posthumous biography about whoever. You know, Jim Morrison, you want to take it into music or, you know. Uh, that is not reality. You know, we write those things in books because we don't want to speak ill of the dead. And, you know, uh, but Corey believed in that. Corey believed that, hey, I'm funnier than you and I can just do whatever I want. I don't need to open for this guy at this country club gig. I, those are beneath me. I don't need to do those gigs. I should be uh, playing big shows and working with great comedians. And Corey did go on to, you know, play with some of the biggest names in the business. I wrote some down here. I know he, he opened for, at one point, you know, he was, he had a close relationship with the Magic Bag Theater, which was a stop for a lot of comedians. On the way up, he opened for Amy Schumer. There, he opened for Gilbert Gottfried there. At the Comedy Castle, where again, when I talk about guys knowing that Corey was funny and people in the business knowing how funny he was and how great he was, Mark Ridley never didn't give Corey work. Mark Ridley was so great to Corey, uh, the owner of the Comedy Castle. And always gave Corey gigs. And not just a gig, you know, in the summertime, uh, you know, 4th of July weekend when there'd be two shows and nobody in the room. He was opening for Dave Attell. He was opening for Sam Morell. He was opening for Amazing Jonathan. He was doing some of the highest uh, uh, prestige shows with headliners that he respected and, and loved uh, and loved to be around. He loved... Uh, you know, going on stage, if you've seen Dave Attell's uh, special bumping mics with Jeff Ross, Corey would do the Jeff Ross role with Dave Attell at the Comedy Castle every time he worked with him. And Dave loved Corey. Dave thought, Dave Attell, who is one of the great comedians of all time, and, and you know, if I had to say who's the greatest living comedian, you know, I couldn't give you one answer, but I'd probably give you five names, and one of them's Dave Attell. Dave Attell thought Corey was great. He was a... He was a comedic genius, and Corey would do that with Attell, and he loved it. He, he loved being on stage with Attell. That's what he thought he was there to do, and unfortunately, that's not what comedy is. 
Comedy is playing people's birthday parties and, you know, office parties. I did a show at a Home Depot Christmas party and, and uh, you know, you're entertaining people outdoor on patios. And, of course, I didn't like all that shit, but that's that's part of the deal. That, that That's what it is. But Corey was a star. He was a star in the making. Here's the story. Now, this is one he told me. I have no reason to doubt him on this. And when the more you know about this particular line of work, you'll know how impressive this is for him. Okay, so at some point, I would say in the early 90s, they decided that they were going to open a second city improv theater here in Detroit. Uh, I believe the Illich family may have had something to do with this. I don't know, but it was a way to bring... Uh, culture to the city of Detroit, which was not doing great at the time. And so the second city, the famous improv troupe out of Chicago, would open a second city theater in Detroit. And they were going to have open calls for the cast of Second City Detroit. So now this is before I had ever been in comedy, but I remember reading these stories in the paper about open calls and going to that. And Corey who would have been probably just out of high school, he probably was 18, maybe 19, went to this open call. And a lot of open calls in show business are bullshit as well. You know, they, they, open calls are publicity for people who, you know, they, they want to get an article in the paper to publicize the opening of the second city. It's like when they're saying, yeah, hey, we need a new Superman. Everybody line up. Everybody line up at the Walmart and then the news cameras come out and it's it's publicity for the Superman movie. They're not really looking for Superman. But Corey went out to this open cause of the story. He would tell me for Second City. And I guess it was something that, you know, and Corey had his theater background. He had never performed improv comedy in a troupe. I don't think at that point, He'd probably done some some improv and some games and stuff as part of uh, his theater training in high school. But, you know, Corey was not a guy who who. Uh, had any professional improv or stand-up comedy experience at this point. Because Corey only started a year before me. That's another thing that was impressive. When I saw Corey in the fall of 99, he had started a year ago, you know. Um, anyway, so he, he went to this Second City uh, audition, open call, and apparently was in the final cut. He made the final cut. They ultimately chose six people or whatever to be in that original Second City thing. And I always get the feeling, again, with these things, that they're not even fair, that they're, you know, they, they know who they want before the auditions begin, which is probably true. But they, they definitely took some people from the open call. And I'm sure those people were experienced improvisers. As I've learned more about the, the improv scene over the years, I know that you know, there was a scene here and there were certainly improv troops running in the early 90s that would have loved to have been part of Second City in Detroit. And he beat out a lot of those people and he was a finalist to be in that. And had he been picked to be in Second City Detroit, who knows what he would have had. He Maybe he would have had a, uh, a career as an improv guy. Um, you know, he, he loved Belushi, like I said. That was one of his early idols. Maybe Corey would have been this great improv guy. But, I mean, he had the charisma and the wit and, and the speed of his wit to have been a great improv guy. Of course, the further he got into stand-up, and, and, and people that know that are in either the stand-up or the improv business, stand-up and improv don't get along. I mean, look, there's guys that do both, and maybe some of that is going away. But there's definitely a rivalry between stand-up and improv. And so, you know, I think Corey certainly never really went back to doing improv ever. But, you know, he, he, he was a guy that in that world, they wanted him for that. Um, 
You know, he was he was definitely a guy that uh, had a lot of heat. You know, he was a guy that I always enjoyed watching. And you know, look, I I like I said, Corey, I, being an audience for Corey was an entree into being his friend. And it took some time for me to become his friend. I remember uh, probably the first time we ever went somewhere together was there was a gig uh, out in Ypsilanti at a pizza place. And I, I can't remember who put it together. It might have been PJ, again, the guy who was running Club Bart at the time, who put this gig together. But uh, Corey and him were going to ride together. And somehow I got invited because I had been, you know, after that first week, I had continued to go to Club Bart and eventually the Comedy Castle. And so I was starting to, to meet people. And, and uh, PJ and Corey said, all right, come on, we'll go to Ypsilanti. So we all, I think we probably met at Club Bart and, and got in the car and drove to Ypsilanti and did this not great pizza place gig in the back of a room. I think there was an upright piano, all the lights on and maybe 10 people watching. It was not a great open mic, but none of them are. And uh, afterwards, I think this was more PJ's doing because... I don't think Corey and I even had the experience of doing this together ever, but PJ said, let's go to the Deja Vu. That's the strip club in Ypsilanti. And he said, ah, well, we're in Ipsy. Might as well go to the Vu. That's how PJ was. PJ was one of those. PJ was a strip club guy, at least back then he was. I don't know what he's doing now in Florida, but at the time he was. And Corey said, yeah, strip club. Let's do it. All right. Strip club. I don't know. I'm not a strip club guy. I've probably been to strip club 10 times in my life, if that. And they were mostly probably bachelor parties or with comics after a show, which, again, just not a strip club guy. But anyway, so we get to this deja vu strip club. <laughs> we're at the door. Turns out I forgot my ID. Oh, shit. Here's Joel, the new comedian. First time we take him on to this little road gig. Ypsilanti, for those of you who don't know Detroit, you know. We're talking, this is a 40-minute ride top. So we're, it's like we traveled hours and hours, and we're staying in a hotel. We had gone about 40 minutes to Ypsilanti from Club Bart to do this thing, and they're not letting me in to the deja vu. And I'm like, oh, man, I have done it now. So they said, well, you can hang in here. And they had like an adult, like a, like a I guess it was an adult, like it was a novelty store, like a, you know, I, it was like, uh, you know, uh, porno mags and dildos and lingerie and all, you know what those are. They had one of those. So I got to hang out in there while Corey and PJ were in there. And I would say to the doorman, hey, can you can you let my friends know that I'm out here waiting? And about every 30 minutes, I would send <laughs> the doorman in there to say, hey, PJ, can we go? And, and you know, they came out and they were so pissed. And PJ's like, and, and then look, I don't know how much because I they didn't let me in the strip club, but you know they left before they wanted to leave because I was out there waiting, and you know the story always was I had a girl between my legs, and I hear Joel's out here waiting, you know, so I did not make a great impression on our first hang. It was not great. Um, probably the only time I ever left the house without a driver's license in my life. <laughs> But that was the first that was the first time I think we left the house. And then, you know, and we did gigs together. I, I don't think we rode to a lot of them after. We always see each other in chat. And it was very much, you know, two guys doing comedy. Um, 
maybe not the best of friends, you know, not not great friends outside of comedy because I had my friends, you know, the guys I went to high school with and I lived, you know, pretty far away in Macomb County at that point. And so we weren't really hanging out, but we'd see each other at shows and we always like talking. And then uh, when I graduated college, I took my college graduation money that my family so uh, generously gifted me with for finishing college. And I took that money and I went to England. I went to London and some other places in England for a couple weeks with that money because I, I enjoy going to England. I've been there a few times to go to music festivals mostly. And I got tickets to see the V Festival in 2000, the Reading Festival in 2000. Got to see, you know, Oasis in their heyday and all kind of great bands. Um, so I went, to, I went to these festivals and I was going to England. Uh, and I remember telling Corey that. I said, well, I'm not going to be club bart next week because i'm i'm going to england you know no oh, what are you doing in england? i'm going to see shows oh that's cool uh well, okay can you get me something from england because you know back then you couldn't just order whatever you want on the internet he said i need some football scarves and me me and my roommates you know Corey lived in a house with a bunch of guys called the monkey house and i guess one of their big rivalries they would play i guess it was fifa the video game soccer video game and they had rivalries uh, amongst the roommates. And he goes, can you get me some football scarves? And he told me the names of the teams. I can't remember at the time who the, the teams were. Uh, but he said, I need Cheltenham and I need, you know, Staffordshire. I don't know the names of the football teams. I don't follow it that closely. Apologies to Sean Stone or my football <laughs> fans, my EPL fans, because uh, I, I know some of the teams, but not all of them. I know Man U and some other ones. All right, Chelsea. Um, Bisa, could you get these scarves for me? So sure enough, one day in London, I was walking by a place. It was called, I think it was called the football store. It was all football stuff, all soccer stuff. And I went in there and I got a couple scarves. And the ones that Corey asked me to get. You know, scarves, if you've seen, if you know soccer, you know, guys wear scarves. And they do it now even in like, NFL football, you'll see the team scarf and they hold them up over their heads or they just wear them. And I got a couple of these scarves. And I, when I came back and saw Corey next, I, I said, hey, man, I got those scarves for you. He said, what? I said, yeah, you asked me. I, I went to England and you told me to get you scarves. And I, I went out to my car and I had these football scarves. He goes, oh, my God, that's great. And he thanked me and I, he probably gave me some money for him. I, I can't remember. Maybe I said, hey, it's a gift for me. Don't worry about it. And I think I really won him over by doing that. I think I really, you know, this was probably almost you know, eight or nine months after I'd met him. But I think he realized, oh, this Joel's a good fella. You know, this Joel's a good guy. He went to England and brought me shit. You know, that's nice. And from there, we really started becoming friends. And again, because I was into that music scene, I was going to London. It was a really pretty good time for music, the end of the, the early 2000s. And in Detroit, you know, we had the garage rock scene going on. Uh, with the White Stripes, the Von Bondies, uh, all those groups. And we started going out watching bands together. And a lot of these, you know, we were playing comedy in a lot of venues where these bands, these White Stripes were playing at Club Bart. <laughs> you, know, you know, we were doing Club Bart on Thursdays and the White Stripes were doing like Tuesdays. I mean, that's the way it was in, in 99 and in 2000. And of course, they eventually got too big and they weren't on the scene regularly but there were a bunch of bands we go out and see those bands we'd go see national groups we'd hang out and that, that's really the beginning of our friendship is is just hanging out watching bands hanging out after the comedy show we we started uh you know we would hang out like the club bart parking lot and club bart in ferndale's not there anymore it's 
Now, it's been three or four things since it's been Club Bart. Uh, like 10 years ago, I think it closed. Um, 10 or 11, 9 maybe. I don't know. It's 10 years next year. But, um, you know, it's been a bunch of things. But there's a parking lot in the back, and that would be where the comics would hang out. Before they're set, after they're set, they'd go over material, they'd smoke cigarettes, whatever. Um, and Corey and I would just kind of hang out there. Because I think, you know, at the time I was living with my dad, I think he might have been living, he, he might have been in the monkey house at that point. But, you know, he, we just wanted to hang out and shoot the shit. And so we'd hang out, you know, the, the Club Bar show would probably run from, you know, 10.30 to 1 o'clock, you know, on a, on a regular night. It could run later than that. But, you know, Corey and I would be in the back, you know, usually not just us, but, you know, three, four comics hanging out. Sometimes we'd go get pizza at Como's across the way there in Ferndale, Nine and Woodward. Um, sometimes we'd just talk. And there might be four or five of us that went and got pizza. But then it would just end up two in the morning, three in the morning, me and Corey chatting. Just me and him busting balls, talking about, you know, talking about comedy, talking about our careers, what we wanted to do, how we were going to get it, stuff we liked. We'd talk about girls. We'd, we'd you know, uh, talk about what guys talk about at that age. And we do that till very, very early in the morning. And it was great. That was the hang. Then I'd get in my car, drive 30 minutes back home to Macomb County. That was the hang. Every, every week. Thursday night. Hanging out with all the guys having pizza, Dalen. I, I I can't remember all the guys that would have been at this stuff, but you know all the all the regular comics. We'd all hang out together, and then we just hang, parking lot, hang out, hang hang on the parking meter. And sometimes that could get you know. Corey was very passionate about comedy. Corey thought, hey, you're. Remember we had a conversation once. He said, you're funny, and you're not putting enough into this. And he was trying to, and he ended up just hauling off and smacking me across the face. I remember my glasses flying off my face and landing on the asphalt in the uh, the parking lot behind the library there in Ferndale. Not in a dick way. He didn't hit me in anger, but he was wanted to wake me up. He was passionate. I remember that night. We had dozens of those nights, hundreds of those nights probably over the years. It was great. That was our hang, you know. That was what we did. And, of course, that went on to us, you know, talking on the phone and you know we would have these irreverent conversations as i mentioned he would call me up and he'd be mad about something or i'd be mad about something or something in the media was ridiculous and we'd make each other laugh for hours on the phone and then we had the idea it was like you know if we recorded these that'd be like a funny radio show we could be on the radio doing this so you know we're talking like 2000 2001 we're, we're talking on the phone going god how do we get on the radio now imagine that then <laughs> we're talking on the phone. How do we get on the radio? We keep having this conversation. I think at that point, neither of us had even been on the radio. We ultimately, you know, ended up being guests on the radio later. But, you know, we were trying to figure out, you know, how would you even get this on the radio? And I said, well, you know, and me being more technically minded than, than Corey was. Corey was not a, a great uh, user of technology. I think some things he, he definitely had an old soul and even in his, his 20s and 30s, uh, things could confuse him. <laughs> I said, well, look, I think I can record. Uh, my, my buddy's in a band, and he's got a four-track recorder, which, if you know what four-track is, it's a cassette. And it actually uses, rather than using 
uh, having two sides, you just use the cassette as it is, and it records four different tracks. Because the cassette is stereo, and it has two sides, which means there's four tracks, a right and a left for side A and a right and a left for side B. But if you wanted to use a four-track recorder, I can't remember who made the one that we used, if it was a TAC or uh, some audio company. Uh, you know, we would use this the four-track to, um, you know, use all four things. So we could have Corey's mic would be one volume, my mic would be the other volume, and you could have four instruments, ideally, at the same time, and do overdubs and all that stuff. So if I can get a four-track, that's what we need, because we need to have two mics going into something, and we got this four-track. This time, I was living in a Hamtramck apartment. One of those, if, if you know the city of Hamtramck, the big loft, second floor with the balcony out front. We had one of those. And I was living in that with a friend of mine, Kevin. And uh, we sat down and we recorded an hour of stuff. I, I think what it was is there was actually was a newspaper article in the want ads where the, I think it was the sports station said, we're looking for on-air talents and demo tapes, blah, blah, blah. So we got the four-track. Uh, I had to take the four-track because if you take a four-track tape and you send it to somebody... They will not be able to play it back if its stuff is on more than the two tracks. And we might have had music on the third track. I can't exactly remember. And we made this one mixed-down tape, meaning we took the four-track, plugged it into my cassette tape deck uh, that I had that recorded, and we recorded this cassette, and we mailed it off. So the, the reason I don't even have that tape is that there's only one of those. <laughs> you know, I, I probably could have made a copy, but there was one of those. And we sent that off to the post office box or whatever address they put on there and never heard anything. And we continued to have our conversations on the phone and do stand-up and all that stuff. And time went on, and probably in, in about 2004, and at this point we had done some guesting on radio. Corey at this point was reviewing movies uh, pretty regularly for... Uh, Real Detroit Magazine, and then later the Metro Times, the two alt-weeklies that we had at the time in Detroit. Um, he had, was working for Real Detroit. I think wasn't happy with his money, so he switched over to Metro Times. So at least we could say that, too, about our show. We was like, well, you know, he's like, hey, man, I've got a name now in the print media, and you're this established comedian. And I think by that point I was even doing uh, Up Chuck the Clown for Insane Clown Posse, and I was popular from that in that world. And so we both had had some success. And I read an article about uh, this thing called podcasting. And Adam Curry, the blonde, blown out hair metal post guy, had invented a technology to put music, uh, to put shows, talk shows on an iPad, on an iPod, actually, iPod. If you remember the iPods, uh, the big bricky iPods with the hard drive in them, that was the idea. It was a podcast. And this is probably September 2004, as I was following technology and, and tech websites and stuff, I was reading about this technology coming out. And, and I remember saying to Corey one day, I said, you know, and I even listened to a few of them. And they were terrible. And people were trying to be funny on these podcasts and uh you know, they were just guys in their house, and they weren't comedians, and sometimes it would be a husband and wife, and whatever. They were, they were, they were not great shows. Nobody that really was in show business was doing these. 
maybe Adam Curry was the closest to show business. It was a, 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 a retired VJ from MTV. So no one was really doing this. And I said to Corey at some point, I said, well, look, I, I think I, I don't have money. We need to buy equipment if we want to do this right. And I was looking up what equipment we needed to record in the home. And I said, well, look, I, I think we could maybe do something like this, you know. So, uh, and he said, well, I, said, well I, could, I could chip in if you want to do it. We'll chip in and we'll start one of your shows. And, and the idea was we would do this podcast show and we would get good at talking into microphones and that would help us eventually get a job on the radio. So we... Uh, and I said, he said, well, how do we do this? I said, I just don't have the money. I'm, I was a road comic, you know, I didn't have a regular job. And I think Corey, you know, Corey, when I met him and for most of that was working in a bookstore, he was working at a borders outlet, I believe in Clawson, Michigan. And he was, um, you know, I think when the movie review thing took off, he was eventually getting a salary from Metro times. I'm not sure when that was. But, you know, that's what, you know, I, I was telling him, I say, look, I don't have the money to buy this equipment. It's going to be hundreds of dollars to buy a mixing board and microphones and headphones that were suitable. Um, I, I, I don't have the cash. It's all right. And I said, well, here's the deal. I've got a feature weekend at the Comedy Castle coming up. I think it was feature weekend. Um, this was in March of 2005. I was going to be opening for a guy named Jimmy Pardo, and that name will be important later. He's a pretty well-known comedian, uh, and was at that time, certainly was doing The Tonight Show and doing stuff. And I'd worked with Jimmy on the road before, and I liked Jimmy and, and all that stuff. And anyway, I was going to get this check for hundreds of dollars for performing as a feature act at the Comedy Castle, or MC. I can't remember if it was MC or feature, but it was one of those spots. Um, I, I probably would have been a feature by 05, yeah. But anyway, so I was featured at the castle, and I said, well, here's the deal. I will take my Comedy Castle money. We will buy equipment with that if you can match what I'm putting into it. He said, cool. So finished that Comedy Castle weekend, took my check. I believe on a Monday, Corey and I drove to Guitar Center in Southfield, Michigan, and told the guy we're going to do a show. I think we told him we were going to do a podcast. I don't believe that guy knew what the fuck we were talking about that worked at Guitar Center. But he said, well, if you want to record, you're going to need a mixing board like this. These microphones are good. They actually ended up not being great microphones, but he sold us a pair of microphones for 100 bucks, a mixing board for 150 a couple of mic stands. Now that I think about it, the mic stand I'm using right now was actually the mic stand the guy sold me in 2005. So he did, he did sell us a good mic stand. <laughs> couple of them uh sell the other one too uh sold us some mic stands and said go for it here you go and Corey and i drove back to my house i was living in ferndale actually this house exact house i was actually at that point i didn't even own the house i was renting a room in this house that i ended up buying from my landlord i ended up buying the whole house but i was renting the room that is now the joel radio studios which is my bedroom at the time and uh, that's, we, we sat down, we put all the equipment together as best we could. We, uh, you know, went and, uh, you know, I, I had to plug the mixing board into the computer, which I didn't really know what to do, but it was the line in. I had gotten a program called Audacity, which we still use to, which I still use to this day to record. 
Um, I, I've the mics, the headphones, and the board have all been replaced. But we had all this equipment. We sat down and literally to test the microphones, we recorded a show that became episode one of the Corey and Joel radio show. Was recorded the day we bought the equipment, and um, I don't even think I made the website because that was another hurdle I had to get over was making a website, generating an RSS feed, getting people to to listen. But that's how this show started. That's how this podcast started was Corey giving me money, me taking my money, putting it all together, going to Guitar Center, buying the stuff, coming home, hooking it up and talking. And we had a great time on that show. And we probably did three shows that first week. (laughs) We were having so much fun doing the show and bringing on our friends. I remember PJ from from Club Bart was our first uh, guest on that show, on on the show, maybe the second or third episode, fourth episode. can't remember which one. Again, you can get all these shows on joelradio.net if you want to hear that first show. Go all the way back. I'd play it for you now, but honestly, it'd be too hard for me to do it as I'm talking to you. But go back. You can get all those shows. You might have to download them and listen to them that way. Um because I don't think they have a built-in player and they're not on the RSS feed. So a little bit of a, a hurdle to jump to listen to those now, but they're up there for you. And it took off. Uh, again, when we added iTunes, we had all those new fans joining us. Again, nobody was doing, you know, our hook, and this is the thing, and I know I've said this on the show a million times, our thing was we were the first professional comedians who did a podcast. That is our claim to fame. You can try to look it up and find a professional comedian who was doing a show before Corey and I. You will not find that. Corey and I were the first, the very first, without any doubt. How do I know this? Because in the spring of 2005, there might have been two to 300 podcasts in the world. Those podcasts would be ranked by, would be listed by category on a site like Podcast Alley or Podcast Pickle, which I don't even know if those exist anymore, but you would be listed by a category that a person had to, you would fill out a form and a person would add you to that. And this was everybody that was doing shows around the world would have their show on there. And in the comedy category, we would listen to every single show because we were petty dicks like that. (laughs) And we could not find a professional comedian that was doing a show. It was not... You know, people at that point, we did, there was like streaming audio. There was, you know, if you guys remember the real player where you could click on uh, somebody doing a stream of a show, there were comedians doing stuff in that format, or you could have people who would put their stand up up and you could stream it, but nobody was making a show to be uh, consumed as a podcast on an iPod. Uh, No one had done that before Corey and I. And now, if you talk to most people, and I know Corey would, Corey would, would certainly get upset when, when people would do history of podcasting, articles, or other podcasts where they talk about the history. And I think they did even a documentary that I never saw about it. But, um, you know, people would do, uh, would say, who was the first comedian? Because comics had so much success early on with podcasting. Everybody knows Mark Marin. I think Bill Burr had a very early podcast as well. And they used the podcast to you know, uh, find fame. The guy that they always say is the first guy, stand-up comedian that ever did a podcast, they always say is Jimmy Pardo. And the reason they say, and look, Jimmy Pardo did a show very early on. I think he did a show probably uh, 
It may be summer of 06. And here's how that happened, because I know how Jimmy Pardo started his podcast. He was back a year later at the Comedy Castle, as comedians do. They, they Successful ones will come back to the club a year later. You know, every year they'll come back about the same time. And Jimmy Pardo came back to the Comedy Castle, and I told him, hey, you're, uh, we're going to do a live show to ce- celebrate one year of doing a podcast. Uh, you should come out, and we're going to have comedians do sets. Would you come and do a set? Because Jimmy liked me, and I had opened for him. He thought it was funny. He said, yeah, I don't know what this show is, but okay. And Jimmy got there, and Jimmy did a little set. And again, you can listen to that show. It is up there. The first anniversary of uh, the Corey and Joel radio show. Jimmy uh, did uh, his set. He sat down with us and did a little interview. He, of course, busted our chops the whole time about what a rinky-dink show. I don't know what the fuck a podcast is. I don't know what this is. You guys suck. You know, the whole thing. It's hilarious. Jimmy's great. And then Jimmy, you know, it was all our local buddies doing the show, but then we had Jimmy Pardo. Great, you know. And uh, Jimmy, a week later, phone rings. Hey, man, uh, it's Jimmy Pardo. How you doing, Joel? Hey, Jimmy, what's going on? Yeah, man, I'm uh, I'm out here in L.A. and... uh, thinking about trying to do one of those podcasts, man. How do, how do I do that? And I said, well, look, you need some mics. You need a mixing board. You need all this. Oh, okay. You know, giving him the full rundown, telling him exactly how I was making as the guy, the technical guy, the guy who's always you know, made the show, um, how to make, create, run a podcast. And I told him everything on the phone. And uh, sure enough, Jimmy went off, made his podcast, and it's still around today, the podcast, and it's great. So that is the story of uh, why Jimmy is always credited with having the first comedy podcast, first comedian with a podcast, when in fact it was me and Corey Hall. And, uh, and I've talked to Jimmy later, and Jimmy will privately acknowledge the history of Corey and I doing a show and him being a guest. But publicly, Jimmy has not, to my knowledge, credited myself and Corey Hall for doing a show. But anyway, here we are. Um, some opportunities that came to us from doing our podcast. Uh, we were high, there was a guy who, you know, when 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 podcasts were picking up, wanted to. Uh, he was an old radio guy, Jimmy Risk. I don't know what ever happened to Jimmy Risk, but Jimmy Risk got a hold of Mark Ridley at the Comedy Castle and said, "Hey." I want to record your shows at the Comedy Castle, and people will pay money to listen to them later as a podcast. And he said, and he told Mark Ridley this, and Mark Ridley was interested. And he said, and I'd also like to have, um, as sort of you know, shoulder programming, an additional thing, a talk show element to your Comedy Castle shows where somebody could interview the comedians. And Mark Ridley said, well, I have these guys, Corey and Joel, who are my regular comics, and they do a podcast already. And so we were taken to lunch with Jimmy Risk and Mark Ridley, and we had a power lunch, and Jimmy Risk said, let's do a, uh, let's do a, uh, a demo show. And we were at the Comedy Castle when uh, a guy named Mike Green, who's still a great friend of mine uh, from Detroit, was headlining, and Mike Green uh, was our guest, and we recorded that show, and nothing ever came of Jimmy Risk and his podcasting. So that went down the tubes. But Jimmy Risk was going to fly us around the country. We were going to go from club to club interviewing people before the show, the comics after the show, maybe the audience members, and doing a real kind of sit-down. I mean, really, this is exactly what Mark Marin ended up doing, starting 
Uh, but, you know, we were going to do this remotely, and we had this whole rig, and he had hired a, a, a woman, I forget her name, but a very dear woman, I still see from time to time, uh, to record us uh, and be our engineer, a professional who was going to engineer us, which was great. And none of that went anywhere. And we were kind of defeated and, you know, kind of went by the wayside. And then uh, I knew a guy who was doing phony phone calls. There was a guy that I met doing stand-up one night, and, and uh, he said, well, look, just, hey, man, I, I do phony phone calls for radio shows. And he said, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I, you know, I can get you on. I think you're funny. I can get you on a show. I said, well, what show can you get me on? And he said, well, you ever hear of Man Cow? And I go, oh, Man Cow, Chicago, that's a big show. He said, I can get you on Man Cow. He says, there's a guy named Rover out of Cleveland. I can get you on his show. He says, now, I don't know if I can promise you this, but I've done some phone calls for Howard Stern. And I go, okay, now get the fuck out of here. You're full of shit, right? So I'm telling this guy. I go, yeah, you're full of shit. You can't get me on Howard Stern. So no, eventually, if you're, if you're good at it, we'll get you on Howard Stern. So anyway, I did some phony phone calls for this guy. Did the Rover show. Did the Man Cow show. The Man Cow show sucked, by the way. And this, Harry, uh, this guy uh, who said to me, he said, uh, hey, you're doing good. And I said, well, look, you know, just so you know, I do my own radio thing. And eventually he got me on Howard Stern. That's a whole other story for another day. But eventually he got me doing Howard Stern, phoning in, being a phony guest. As Howard was doing at the time, I can't speak to what Howard is doing now, but he was paying me. He was giving me money. He gave me, I, came, I think I got, I was getting at least 150 bucks. I might have got 300 to do Stern. I can't remember, but I did all these 40 calls. And I said, well, look, you did a good job getting me on these shows, putting some money in my pocket, doing these radio guest things. And Corey was doing them too, you know. And there was another guy uh, that we knew, Jim Hamm, who was a morning show host in Toledo, and we were doing his show too. You know, separately, but we were calling in as phony guests, you know, the War of the Roses, husband and wives fighting. And it would be, you know, I'd be the husband and Kate Brindle would be the comedian from Michigan here, would be the wife. And we would argue, you know, and stuff like that. It was funny. Um, You know, those those calls are dumb, but that they are fake and whatever. People seem to like them. So radio still does them. But since this guy had the success putting me on Stern and all stuff, I said to him, I said, well, look, you know people in the radio business, clearly. Uh, would you be our agent to get us onto a radio station here in Detroit? And he said, sure. He said, I need you to cut a demo. So Corey and I went back to the studio, and without swearing, that was a thing. We wanted to, we had to clean it up, and we knew that. We recorded a radio demo. We took photos uh, that would be our headshots and our promo photos and all that stuff. And we did all this, and we gave it to this guy, and he started shopping us to radio stations. And before too long, the sports talk station in Detroit, 97.1, which actually wasn't a sports talk station. It became, uh, at the time, 97.1 was the station. Howard Stern had left satellite radio, had left commercial uh, radio, uh, you know, over-the-air radio, and moved to Sirius Satellite Radio. And the station was Howard Stern in the morning and talk the rest of the day. So other talk shows, Tom Likas, and I forget some of the other guys that were on there. There were some local guys, but a lot of it was syndicated stuff. Um, and he said, you'd be great, you know, our, our, our agent, manager, as he liked to call himself, our manager, uh, said you'd be good for the station. He sent our demo and our package off to the program director of 97.1, which after Howard left became Opie and Anthony in the morning. 
So that was a lineup. Opie and Anthony in the morning, Tom Likas, drive time, and local guys in between. And overnight, they had somebody. I don't know. And the program director liked our demo and said, you, you guys have charisma. Took us out to lunch. Said, you guys are great. He was a, I forget the guy's name, and I should know, because he really was a great guy to us. And said, we're going to give you some air shifts. So they put us on from 1 a.m. to 3 a.m., Corey and I, Corey and Joel, on 97.1 in Detroit from 1 a.m. to 3 a.m. And uh, we would be on, and I remember the first night, it was a Saturday night, it was after a Lions preseason game. So we're talking August, probably, an August night, um, where we'd be on the actual radio, the whole thing. And then we do Sunday as well, 1 to 3. So we had to wait for the Lions game. Then we went on and did it. And those shows went well. I, I may or may not have tapes of those. Maybe those are things I could. But we were on commercial radio. We had been given the FCC rundown about what we can say and we cannot say. We had an intern answering the phones. We had an engineer running our board. I mean, professional radio at the radio station. We were living the dream. Did two shows. Um Program director said, all right, come in on Monday. We'll, I'll listen and come in on Monday. We'll talk about him. We come in on Monday, and he goes, guys, I listened to what you did this weekend. I thought you guys did a really good job. The shows were funny. And, uh, you know, I think we can, uh, he's, I, I want to put you guys on the air, but here's the deal. I don't have a budget for you this quarter. Uh, we get a new budget every quarter, and... Uh, when we have the new, when the new quarter begins, remember this is August, so the quarter probably begins September, right? September, October, November, December is the fourth quarter of the year. And he says, when I get uh, this fourth quarter, I'll have a budget and we'll bring you on probably on overnights, but we'll, we'll find a spot for you because we think you're really good here. And we were like, oh my God. So we have been verbally hired by the local radio station, the talk station, Opie and Anthony in the morning, Corey and Joel at night. What a great time it was going to be. We knew we weren't going to make a lot of money. We'd be on in the middle of the night, but that was cool. That, our dream of doing the podcast for the years that we did it, and I don't know if this was two years or three years in to doing the podcast, was paying off. We were going to get our radio gig. And September rolls around, and probably as a result of being a new quarter, <laughs> the ownership, the, I, don't, I guess it was the general manager or perhaps even higher, then that on the food chain decided that the 97-1 all talk all day format was out. They were going to go do sports talk radio. The program director that had verbally agreed to hire Corey and I when the new quarter began was fired. And Corey and I's dream died right there. And that was really tough. And I think Corey took it harder than I did. I think Corey, uh, you know, w was certainly put off uh, a little bit. And, you know, we, we did try with our agent to get on the sports talk station, to get on some other stations, cut new demos, the whole thing. Uh, none of that ever worked, you know. Uh, now, as we speak, and in the last few years, you would say podcasting is the better place to be anyway because commercial radio's in the shitter, and it is. And, uh, you know, we... Uh, have given that up. Ironically, I was <laughs> the co-host on um, 910 AM for years and years with Mike Bonner until the pandemic hit on Tuesday nights. And Corey was a regular on NPR and NPR did a tribute to Corey Hall. 
And so it comes full circle. Um, of course, later, uh, not long after that, I would say, Corey was frustrated with the podcast because people at that point were, were doing podcasts, you know, big, you know, Viacom and MTV and ESPN had all these big shows and, you know, the guys like Bill Burr and Mark Maron and Joe Rogan and Adam Carolla had started podcasting and because they were famous from television were having big audiences where Corey and I felt like maybe our audience wasn't growing at the same rate that it was in the early days Corey got frustrated and quit the show said I'm done with Corey and Joel radio I don't want to do it anymore and I was at a juncture where I said well I could I could you know I guess I got to stop doing this but I didn't want to stop doing it and since I was the person whose house we did the show in and since I was the person who knew how to use the equipment and run the website, I said, I'm going to continue doing the show. But as a way, now you tell me, <laughs> I, I, it was a way for me to not be petty was to take Corey's name off the show. I wasn't going to keep the Corey and Joel radio show and have no Corey. And so I guess as a way to call his bluff, if it was a bluff, I don't know if it was a bluff. I said, I'm going to continue the show. And the easiest thing to just call the show was we're losing the Corey and Joel radio show. I will just make it Joel radio. And I did. And after doing 200 shows with Corey, I was on my own. The show was called Joel radio. I started a website, which was joelradio.net. You can still go to Corey and Joel radio.com. I still pay to keep that domain fresh. You can look at that. Uh, but I took all of those old shows, moved them over to JoelRadio.net. They're, they're still there. They're in two spots. But, um, you know, JoelRadio.net, Corey and Joel was the new spot. Started doing shows. I did a few by myself, which were not great. And I don't like doing shows by myself. I thought it was appropriate today, so that's why I'm here. Um, but, I, I, you know, I, I did the show by myself. I can't remember how long it was, but it couldn't have been more than two, three months when Corey said, hey, I, we, you know, and we were still talking. You know, we probably didn't talk for a week or two after he quit, but we would still talk from time. And we'd see each other out, you know, clubs, comedy. And he said, I want to do the show. And I said, look, here's the deal. I've already moved everything to JoelRadio.net. I got a new RSS feed. Everything's new. You can be on the show, but it is not going to be called the Corey and Joel radio show. And Corey, to his credit, said fine. And I think we were both happy. I was happy to have Corey back. Corey was glad to be back doing it. You know, Corey was having success writing, doing his movie reviews. He was doing junkets as well. That's another thing that he did. Um, because Corey, you know... I remember at Real Detroit, especially, he would go out and they'd fly him to L.A. And he'd go to, like, the Chateau Marmont and interview Angelina Jolie and John Travolta and these people. He did that for a while. And he'd write the little article and, you know, they'd fly him out. He'd go to New York City. He'd go to Chicago. Um, he did that for a while. So he was, he was happy doing that. And he was happy doing the podcast. And then he ended up being a guest on the big morning uh, show in Detroit, the Drew and Mike show. He did movie reviews for them for a time. Eventually, years later, Corey ended up on Fox 2 Detroit, the morning show, television. He became friends with Jason Carr from, you know, them, them both attending movie screenings. And Jason uh, Carr went to bat and put Corey on 
Fox 2 doing movie reviews. And he did that for years and years. I think Corey used that to have comedians on, doing a roundtable on Fox 2. He never invited me, but that's okay. <laughs> um, but Corey, Corey would, uh, I, I think... I think I would have been on there eventually, uh, but Corey was that that the, the the comedy roundtable did not last on Fox Two, and I don't think Corey had a whole lot to do with it. I think some guests were on and rubbed people the wrong way there, some of the comedians, but not Corey. Um, so he did all that, and he was he was pretty happy with his career. And even recently, you know, Corey was writing ironically for iTunes and reviewing movies on there. He would write obituaries uh, for celebrities. And, you know, and, and the way when you write obituaries and, and people make careers out of being obituary writers, you write the obituary while the person's still alive. And uh, Corey did that for years. And, um, you know, we always uh, loved the same thing. We loved, uh, you know, one thing that Corey was big on and, 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 you know, high culture and low culture. That was his thing. Corey could watch the, you know, art house Swedish films and write about them and critique them and enjoy them and then he would be watching you know joe bob briggs drive-in movie and talk about those things he loved godzilla movies he loved uh you know he loved uh comics and comic books and all comic related thing he loved star wars i think some of the best shows we ever did was talking about star wars reviewing star wars movies we'd go to the you know, if you've heard over the years, we'd go to the first screening of Star Wars and talk about it after and um, before the critical mass was out there. Um, you know, we, uh, we, we loved the same things, a lot of the same taste in music. Uh, food was a thing that we did not, uh, you know, Corey was a foodie. I think that was a lot of uh, uh, the relationship with his wife. Uh, they enjoyed going out to it was based around food. You know, they would, they would go out to dinner and try all the new restaurants and Corey would write reviews of them and tell people about them. So he would, he would want to go see, you know, the four star chef's new restaurant. And yet he would be on Facebook live reviewing the new Oreo flavors, high culture, low culture. That's what he loved both. And, um, it was so much of 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 who he was, and he would, you know, we would review stuff on the show. Uh, we review Oreo. I'd bring in mystery Oreos, and he would review those and different cereals. And um, you know, I uh, one of his his great things is I, I'm I'm rambling. I'm trying to wrap up, but I don't want to miss you know his career highlights. He did uh, uh, in addition to doing uh, the junkets, he as a movie critic, he would host things. So he would host screenings. I remember he hosted, um, oh, I forget the name of his movie, but David Chase, the creator of The Sopranos, uh, made a movie. I forget it was about rock and roll in the 60s, early, you know, some kid in the 60s band. And uh, David Chase came in and came to the screening, and Corey was the host. Corey and I together hosted uh, the Detroit premiere of The Aristocrats that Pendulette and Paul Provenza made. If you've seen The Aristocrats, great movie. Uh, we hosted the premiere of that. Corey, uh, I remember he hosted a bookstore event. I didn't get to go with, I think, who would be his favorite contemporary film director, Wes Anderson. And Corey got to interview Wes Anderson and um, Jason Schwartzman around uh, the release of their movie, The Darjeeling Limited. That's the name of it, right? I never saw that one. 
But Corey was a big Wes Anderson fan, and he got to sit with Wes Anderson and interview him. Um, and it was a big thrill for him to do that. Um, one uh, screening he hosted, and uh, <laughs> one of our biggest fights, I think, later, uh, afterwards, but the movie Juno was coming out, and it was this hot indie movie. If you remember Juno with the girl who gets pregnant as a teenager, it's Michael Sarah and... I'm so old, I can't remember shit anymore. Uh, Ellen Page. And Ellen Page is pregnant, and Michael Sarah is her teenage boyfriend, and they're going to have the baby. And it was written by Diablo Cody, who was a, as all of her press said, a former stripper who decided she wanted to be a screenwriter. And so Diablo Cody comes in for this screening of Juno. And Corey had seen Juno before and came on the show and told me how good Juno was. And then he said, hey, we're going to have this screening with Diablo Cody herself. You need to come. So he got me tickets for the Juno screening at the Main Art Theater with Diablo Cody. And Juno ran, and I remember halfway, not maybe not even halfway through Juno going, I fucking hate this Juno. I hate the way this kid talks, this Ellen Page. I hate the dialogue. It's phony. It's fake hipster. It's syrupy and sentimentality. And even though Juno was getting it reviews and people liked it that night, I hated Juno. And it was all I could do. And here's why. I'm not the guy that likes to draw attention to himself. And certainly with my buddy doing the interview, it was all I could do in the world to raise my hand and say to Diablo Cody, to her face. And part of me regrets it saying, I fucking hated Juno. This movie stinks. And I wanted to say that, but I didn't want to embarrass Corey. I didn't want to do that to him because it was a big deal to him. He liked the movie. He respected Diablo Cody. And I sat there angry during his Q&A and refused to say that Juno sucked. And I could have done it. I could have stood in front of a packed audience, hundreds of people, and said, I fucking hate Juno. But I didn't. Because Corey Hall was my friend. And if you look at, in the intervening years, what is the critical consensus on Juno? Not the people that reviewed it when it came out, or the Oscars that had won the previous year. What do people think of it now? They think exactly what I thought. In that movie theater in Royal Oak, Michigan, sitting there. Juno fucking sucks. And I stand by that. But out of respect for Corey, I could not stand. I could not speak on it until the podcast. When Corey and I had a huge row as we would. That's how it went. We loved each other. We respected each other. And we fought with each other. And uh, I think one of Corey's great joys, and I think he would... I think he would openly admit this, that one of Corey's great pleasures in life was to make me miserable. <laughs> and uh, it's been five weeks since he died. And Corey, you have made me completely miserable in a way that I know you didn't intend to and that I know you wouldn't want. And I, I will miss Corey Hall forever. 
and I love him, and I uh, I hope that this show has uh, given you some insight into him. I, I'm sure there's things that I forgot. I, 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 I have a million funny stories, and you know, so much of it was recorded. And uh, I encourage you guys to listen to that. He loved the assholes of the year shows. Uh, uh, find those on Joel Radio. Down to listen to those because those were we had a, a ball doing that. And you know, he he loved he loved that I. You know, I was probably one of the first people verbally that hated the that uh, that that hated the Papa John's guy, Papa John. I I, I went on the show and said Papa John's an asshole. He loved that I hated Papa John. It was his favorite thing. And Oprah and Alan and these fucking phonies in Hollywood. We hated these people. And uh you know, we used to go to Lions games and we'd sit around and watch the Lions and fucking God knows if you're in Detroit or you know, you know, being a Lions fan has not been tough and there hangs just a few feet from where, from where I'm sitting. I have a set of fuzzy Lions dice that he gave me for my birthday or Christmas or something and, and uh, as a gift and they're completely covered in dust. And Corey gave me the the fuzzy dice to rally my Lions fandom. God, I'm looking at my bookshelf. How much of that stuff is from Corey? And I, I am lucky that so much of the good times that we had together was documented on this show. And, you know, um, I'm lucky to say that. Uh, if you were his friend or his fan or his family, uh the hours that we have of him recorded, uh, you know, we live in a time that is unique in that we can have these things uh, that will live on, uh, that we can always listen to him. I'm sure we'll have, like I said, many more remembrances of Corey going forward on this show. Um, that That's my goal. Uh, you know, I, I will never forget him. I will never not give him being a credit for being a great comedian, an amazing critic and a great friend. I know he was a great husband and a great son and, uh, you know, just one of a kind. And, uh, I, you know, I, I I don't know what else to say, man. I I hope I did a good job remembering him. And, uh, you know, there were other ways to do this. You know, I could have had people, and, and, and maybe I should still have, you know, his family on or whoever. And again, re- reach out to me at uh, Joel the Comic at Gmail. Uh, that's or Facebook. You know, there is a Joel. There's a Joel Radio Facebook, and, and if you're not friends with me and you want to add me on Facebook, uh, find me Joel Fragamani, and uh, I can read things that you want to say about him and. Uh, I, I know I will be hating myself when I stop recording as I'm about to, forgetting things. Um, but I, I just, I guess to sum it all up, I just want to say that uh, being a friend and a colleague and a partner to Corey was one of the absolute great joys in my life. I, I don't think it's a friendship I will ever have again with anyone else. And, and, uh, uh, 
I hope that you were all lucky to have a friend like I had in Corey. I hope that for you, and I hope that that friendship continues for years and years, even though mine has ended. (laughs) And I miss him every day. And I want to call him and talk about the ridiculous things. It's like, it's like part of me just instinctively says, oh, geez, I, I read this article. I want to call Corey and I can't. <laughs> Corey, I miss you. I, I love you. And uh, I want to thank everybody for listening and uh, apologize for sounding. I think I was pretty good. I might might have only cried for 20 minutes. I don't know. Maybe only 20 minutes, 30 minutes of two hours. Corey, you will be missed, brother. We love you, and um, I will miss you forever, my friend. Thank you for listening, everybody. I'm going to end it with this. I found a way to end this show that's not me blubbering and being a mess. I used to bring him to the stage and he loved it. I used to bring Corey to the stage and I used to say this. And God knows I probably stole this from somebody somewhere. Maybe Howard Stern. Who knows? Maybe some old comedian. But I used to bring Corey to the stage and I used to say, He's funny with a capital F-U. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Corey Hall. And he loves that. And uh, I'm glad I got to do that. And I won't get to do that anymore. But I'm so proud I did. Corey, we love you. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye-bye.